0: it was something that i needed to learn as a as a business owner too which is just that you know there's nothing wrong with asking and that no is like not a big deal and as soon as you get over no being a big deal then there's so much more possibility that you can explore in terms of what you want or what could happen
1: What is it like to create a podcast in partnership with a brand? That's a question that is increasingly on podcasters' mind these days because let's face it, a lot of brands are looking for people who can be the voice and the talent of their podcasts. This kind of partnership is kind of the next step up from finding sponsors for your podcast. And there's a lot of benefits. The brand you're working with might be able to bring the production capabilities into your podcast. Maybe you don't even need to go after and find sponsors yourself. Maybe they can even connect you with guests. It sounds like a total dream come true. That's why I wanted to have Tara McMullen, host of the What Works podcast, come talk to us. Tara was way ahead of the curve here. She launched What Works under the name Profit Power Pursuit all the way back in 2015. And you guessed it, she did this in partnership with a company called Creative Live. Tara joins me to talk about how she approached Creative Live with the idea of starting the podcast together. The thrill of flying out to their studios to produce and develop the podcast, and then how it felt to ask them for full control two years later. Yes, Tara is going to talk to us about how she went into a brand partnership with Creative Live, and then what happened when she ended it, and the evolution of her podcast since then. This is Bridget Lyons. And in this episode of Podcast Ally, we are time traveling with Tara McMullen all the way back to the origin of the What Works podcast. And since I've known Tara for a very long time now, I've personally seen how much work she's put into her own skills as a podcast host and producer. She is very, very thoughtful about how she creates her content, which is why I couldn't pass up the opportunity to also ask her about her content planning process and how she keeps her guests on topic. Let's dive in. Tara, I would love to start at the very beginning. You originally launched What Works in partnership with the company Creative Live, and it had the name Profit Power Pursuit. This was all the way back in October 2015. I know a lot of people must be curious about what it's like to partner with a brand like that. And I'd love it if you could walk us through your relationship with Creative Live and how the podcast came about in the first
0: place. I think when we got the podcast started, I I think I must have done at least three or four courses with them already. Um, And I think my total library now with them is 12 courses. (laughs) So we, we have had a very long and fruitful and wonderful relationship together. And so that summer before we Officially launched the podcast. I emailed my executive producer at Creative Live and I said, Hey, I would really like to get into the podcasting space. I think this is something I could be good at. I think it's something I'd really enjoy. I think it's something that would really benefit my business. And I realized that you guys have this amazing track record of creating multimedia content, multimedia education for creatives and small business owners. But It's all video. You don't have any audio content right now. And there is this huge opportunity out there to create audio content. What would it look like? What could it look like? Are you interested in partnering together to get this audio content created so that it could support both of our brands, so that it could help you promote courses you have on your platform so it could help you promote my courses on your platform so it could help you promote your platform as a whole and at the same time really raise my profile in this same space. And I think I got an almost immediate reply from my executive producer that said, yes, yes, we would like to talk about this with you. Can you please fly to Seattle? (laughs) And so, um, I, I did something that at the time felt like the most baller thing I had ever done, which is, um, we were spending a month in Montana, uh, where my husband's family is. I could take a direct flight to Seattle and not only could I take a direct flight from Seattle to this tiny airport, I could fly there in the morning and then fly back that night. And I thought that was super baller of me (laughs) to do a one day trip to Seattle. So anyhow, I flew out there and we had a almost all day meeting just sort of talking about, okay, what's this podcast going to look like? What is this relationship going to look like? What kind of content are we going to cover? What's the format of the show going to be? Why is someone going to listen to this show as opposed to other shows or in addition to other shows? How are we going to use this to support both of our brands? Um, And really just hammered out all of the strategy behind the show and and what our vision for it was and and how it was going to help everyone involved and then also what the roles and responsibilities of the different parties were going to be. And so it was a really productive meeting and it, it really taught me a lot about the importance of kind of thinking things through before you get started with them. You know, the barrier to entry with podcasting is not super high, but there are a lot of parts to it. There's a lot of, a lot of work. pieces, yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you're going to go through all of that, it's worth it to. Think it through, and so and that's one thing that I've I always learned working with them, or that I was always reminded of working with them, is that you know we don't have to have a script, we don't have to have a point by point plan, but we do want to think these things out before we actually get into it, and that by thinking it out, we can create something that's really great. So anyhow, um, we talked through all of that, hashed out the big stuff, kind of spent the next couple of months then hashing out some of the smaller details and really planning on, out, all right, who are those first few episodes going to be? What's this going to look like? Then we recorded those initial episodes and and launched the show. And for two and a half years, it was an amazing partnership where I got so much support from them in terms of making the show sound amazing, uh, helping me think through kind helping me think through making it better. But at the end, I realized I am utilizing this show. I'm making the most of this show. You guys really don't know what to do with it still after two and a half years. And I think that if I did this on my own, I could do more with it than I'm doing right now because I wouldn't feel the constraint of like worrying about how you're using it or how you could use it or what other things you should be doing with it. So at that point, that was when I approached them about taking it over on my own.
1: Whoa! There is so much I want to unpack here. One is a a small observation that I think, in retrospect, it's really easy to say. Well, of course, you know, you had this relationship with Creative Live, and of course, it was this match made and made in heaven that they were going to have you produce the show when you approached them. But um, I'm sure it didn't feel like that at the time. You know, it was really a big shot I think to take and to make that recommendation. And I think it's easy for people to look at other people's success and feel like that was so easy and unachievable for me but a lot of us probably have relationships or other businesses that we've worked with that if we really wanted to partner that we could figure, you know, figure out what that value proposition is for them. So I just want to call that out because it seems so natural it's easy to discount what a big shot that was for you at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I Realized at some point working with Creative Live, and this was such a huge lesson for me personally, is that if I had an idea or if I thought there was a, a cool way that we could work together, I could just ask. And if they said no, like, cool. And if they didn't and they said yes, then Whoa, like something very, very amazing could happen. So, um, you know, there were all sorts of asks that I made of them over the years. <laughs> I think most of them they said yes to. I can't think of anything off the top of my head they said no to. But you know, I always gave it thought in terms of how it's going to be mutually beneficial. I gave it thought in terms of what I knew about their goals and their plans and, and what they wanted to do for their customers. And just presented the case in the best way i could without being without being overly formal without making it sound like i was pitching them but instead just saying hey i have this idea here's why i think it could work do you want to talk about it and they were always so open to it and i think that that's, that was one of that is one of the things that's special about their culture but at the same time it was something that i needed to learn as a as a business owner, too, which is just that, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking and that no is like not a big deal. And as soon as you get over no being a big deal, then there's so much more possibility that you can explore in terms of what you want or what could happen. And really working with them over the years was just a huge lesson in that constantly.
1: I think another piece of this is that you mentioned that Creative Live is an education company, and for people who may not be familiar with their model, you know what they do is they bring on teachers who already have a platform, who already have a lot of thought leadership to come and teach something on their platform. And so they have this long-standing history of bringing the host in and the expert in from outside. And internally, they have this amazing production um, capacity and capability, right? And so that was just such a great match because they do have this context for bringing in people to be the kind of the face of the content while they have a lot of, um, production support. But I think that also brings to what you were talking about at the end, that there were things that were kind of, you felt like maybe you were holding back or that you could do solo. I'm wondering if you'd be comfortable sharing some of those things that you were thinking that it might benefit you to take over and manage yourself.
0: Sure. Most of them were just creative. And it wasn't that they had any kind of creative control over the podcast because they did. it wasn't that they didn't have creative control. It was that they didn't really know what to do with it. <laughs> so I was the one that was really invested in thinking through like, what should we be doing with this podcast? And the biggest thing I wanted to be able to do was experiment. I wanted to try new things. I wanted to do a different kind of interview. I wanted to have a different format to the show. I wanted to change my ads out more often. I wanted to experiment with where we put the ads in the show and what we talked about in the ads. But I was always nervous about putting a wrench in the works of our procedure, our process, because I was just, I was really relying on our editors and producers on the creative live side. And I just, I personally didn't want to make it harder for them because I didn't, because I didn't know what they were getting out of it. Right. (laughs) Like I'm, I, you know, I could see their support, but on one hand, like on the, on the internal side, um, I got tons of support from them, but on the external side, I was, I kept thinking like, how is this podcast supporting you? And the truth was it really wasn't. And they knew it, but they weren't doing anything about it. And so, I, I felt that burden of like making it as easy on them as possible. And so all I really wanted to do was just experiment. I wanted to try new things, but I didn't want to gum up the works. And so when that really started, like when my creative drive behind the podcast got to the point where I, I've either got to stop this and do my own thing so that I can own it, which was honestly, I think that was probably what I assumed was going to happen. Like, okay, this was a good run. I'm done with this show now. I'm going to do my own show and I'm going to try all these different things that I've been thinking about and, and really let my creativity behind the podcast out. But if maybe they'll let me keep all of the subscribers that we have and all of the downloads and all of the content that we'll have it can't hurt to ask if they'd be interested in letting it go or what that could look like. So that's, that's what I did. I have to ask you like, <laughs> how did that conversation go?
1: <laughs> I've been not in my stomach just thinking about this moment.
0: <laughs> it was remarkably easy. Um, I, I can't say that I wasn't nervous sending the email, but I sent a pretty casual medium length email of like, here's what I'm thinking. You know, I am open to whatever you're thinking, but I would like to just open up this conversation because I think, I think we can both get something out of moving on from this. And, you know, my relationships at that company were the most important piece of the puzzle. So when I was emailing someone to say, hey, can I have all of this content and subscribers, please? <laughs> I was emailing a friend, right? I was emailing someone I have had gone out for beers with. I was emailing someone that I saw in person several times a year um, that I had a really good relationship with and so again just like just like when i pitched the show and they were like yes let's talk about this i got an email back pretty quickly thereafter that said hey this this sounds like a good next step i don't know what it's going to look like i need to talk to some people but i really appreciate you sending the email and let's let's talk cuz i think this is the right thing to do <laughs> and so it really I mean, I know not every brand relationship, but not every partnership goes that direction. But um, the personal relationships that I focused on while I was there, the culture that was there, um, the the kind of open dialogue that we always had around things, uh, that was what allowed it to be easy. And it, like I said, it's been such a learning opportunity because I am the kind of person, I want people to like me. I want, their, I want it to always be a yes. I never want to be an imposition to someone. Like That is my. That is how I am wired for all of the not so great parts of that. And so working with them and getting just comfortable saying, hey, this, this is what I'd like. What do you think about that? I've been able to bring that over into so many other parts of my life and business as well. And so that's been really huge.
1: I would imagine that because their main focus and and they're a startup right but they had a relatively large staff around this focus and so they really focused on creating this educational video content and so the podcast was just the side project that they knew was probably a good idea <laughs> but
0: yeah exactly like
1: didn't like you said like didn't quite know how to leverage it within their strategy and it's kind of amazing to me to look at this so i went through all the episodes and was like when did the creative live tag on beginning. So in the original introduction you had for the show, you introduced the podcast and you said something like I produced the show with my friends at creative live or something like that. It was language like that. And there were 123 episodes. So this is not a small amount of content. <laughs> a lot of shows pod fade before a hundred, you know, you guys are. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so that was like, just, I think a really, really big moment. Um, for both of you, honestly, in making that move. And it it does have a testament to the relationship that you built that it went so smoothly.
0: Yeah. And I think just like one other specific example of how the relationship worked and how the culture there and, and kind of between us worked is we did do over a hundred episodes together. Our hundredth episode was with Chase Jarvis, who is the co founder of Creative Live. So a very Creative Live focused episode. Our hundred and first episode was with Michael Karsch and Elizabeth Madariaga, who were the original. Well, Elizabeth was the original executive producer of the podcast. Michael was the next executive producer of the podcast, and they had left Creative Live to start their own video production uh, online education video production company. And Creative Live did not bat an eye about having those two on the show. Where Another another company, another brand would have been like, "Oh no, that's where we draw the line." Tara, thank you very much. That's a lovely idea, but absolutely not. And they were like, "Cool, this is going to be great." Um, so to have to, to be able to bring those people onto the show and have a great conversation about what they learned at Creative Live, what they're doing now, how working on the podcast helped them launch their business, all of, like that. I think really says a lot about our relationship and uh, and just sort of the attitude that we were all bringing to the show. Wow, talk about a
1: company living that idea of community <laughs> over competition yeah. and I think that just says so much to anybody thinking about working with a brand or a company like this is you can probably find examples of how they treat other people who have worked for their company and left or other brand partnerships and like look at that and see right how they treated those people how how they worked in those relationships because that stuff is easy to spot from the outside when you're looking and to find a company that has such strong values like I think Creative Live did in that space and and does I think is just like a key here
0: yes absolutely
1: so was there anything that you were really nervous about when you started making the move and producing your own content. So in that transition phase, was there anything that was kind of keeping you up at night about the podcast?
0: If I'm being totally honest, the answer is no.
1: (laughs) You're amazing.
0: Um, So you were ready. We were ready. We were very ready. We had dabbled in a side project podcast the year previous, we knew on the team, we had the skills and the knowledge and the know-how to bring the production in-house. And so that wasn't a big issue. Um, Changing the name, as soon as we hit on the idea of calling it "What Works," we were like, "Done. That's it's the best name ever," you know. And to this day, very few interviews go by where a guest doesn't say, "Well, you know, this is what works for me." Right? <laughs> so, so you know, changing the name didn't feel like a big deal. Changing the technical stuff, the technical stuff felt like there was fr- going to be friction there, but it was remarkably easy. And the software that Creative Live happened to be using for that piece of it, um, they were that they're a great company. They were using uh, Blueberry. We do use Blueberry for podcast hosting. Blueberry was super helpful. They helped us transfer everything from their account to my account. We actually got some good support from Apple Podcasts in that process too, which is rare. Uh, moving from their account to my account, and so all of that just went. Pretty smoothly. And I was just so excited about the opportunity to explore more creatively in the podcasting space and to do exactly what I wanted to do without having to think about another constituent in the process, you know? And so that there really wasn't anything in the move that kept me up at night.
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those content changes. So as soon as the Creative Live Tag away you had rebranded the show is what works and i'm curious both if if the name represented any sort of change or where that kind of came from and then what were some of those content changes that you started experimenting with
0: yeah so I think of it less as, as content changes and more of a content evolution. Now, I've gotten a lot of feedback from people that say, well, when you change the format of the show or when you stopped doing this and you started doing that, and I'm like, but none of that is true. <laughs> so it, that goes to show that the way you think about something is not necessarily the way that it is received. But let me talk through the content evolution. So when we started initially with guests, um, our goal was to bring people onto the show who would be very open about their own businesses and the, kind of the ins and outs of approaching business as a creative um, or as someone, if not a traditional creative, someone who has sort of that creative drive and, and that is powering their businesses. Um, and so I asked a lot of questions that were around mindset. I asked a lot of questions that were around thought process I asked a lot of questions that um, kind of got into the why behind the decisions that they made and and just and then the stories around that and that was good and great and I'm really proud of those interviews initially and at the same time looking back on them now I can say oh they were kind of all over the place <laughs> and while there was definitely a lot of thought and direction given to them they still like they they didn't do what I, what I realized I wanted them to do. But what I noticed in that process was that there were certain questions or certain lines of, of questioning that I really enjoyed and that I thought got the guest a little off center in a good way. And that was creating content that wasn't like anything else I was hearing because I was listening to a lot of business podcasts. Um, and so I started honing in On those lines of questioning. So instead of having such a wide-reaching interview, I would go a little deeper on a particular area. And I might still ask about a few different things, uh, but I'd really focus in on something specific. And I realized I really liked that. And so as time went by and time went by, it got clearer and clearer that that's what I was doing. The other thing that I was really focused on from the get-go that evolved over time and, and kind of we doubled down on over time was I wanted people to talk about their own experiences As opposed to giving expert advice. Um, And now that's really a hallmark of the show. And it's a hallmark of um, our culture at what works in general and all of the things that we do. And I, I can talk about that then. But... That was something that was important. And so it was something that I was really paying attention to in terms of who do I choose? What questions do I ask? What kind of prompting do I need to give them to get them to talk about themselves and not whatever their area of expertise is? Because you know ask any expert anything and they'll somehow bring it back to their area of expertise, right? I even taught people how to do that. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. It's people like you, Bridget. <laughs>
1: I'm so sorry. I'm not. It's sorry. okay.
0: <laughs> it's okay. So, I had that was I do tell them to answer
1: the question first.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, But it was something that I had to learn as an interviewer, like, okay, this is going to be a challenge that I'm going to keep running into. So what am I going to do in terms of how I approach the content, the questions, the line of questioning that's going to keep me away from where I don't want to go and keep me squarely in the place that I think is going to be most valuable for our listeners? Right when we decided to take the podcast over solo was when that really started to click. And so while the name change was a big deal, and yeah, the format of the show changed in a little bit, but really not, not. um, I think that it seemed like a bigger shift because we were clarifying what we were doing all along. And so when we rebranded to what works, we were literally coming out and saying, we are asking small business owners about what works for them. And that was this, even though that's what I was doing before, before it was in the context of this is another business podcast. And when we changed the name, it was, oh, Tara's doing something different. And it wasn't that Tara was doing something different than Tara before, it's that Tara's doing something different than the rest of the podcasting space. Um, and so that did feel like a a much bigger shift, even though in my mind it wasn't. Then over time, we've even further refined our approach to content and what we want to do. So that was uh, two years ago now, almost two years exactly. In that process, we decided along the line that not only were we going to ask small business owners about what works for them, but that we're going to really focus on just one thing So one aspect of how their business works. And over time, we even further developed to say every month, we're only going to focus on one area and we're going to cover that area from four to eight different angles by talking to different business owners about the different things that work for them in that one area. So as an example, in January, we did a whole month on project management and I talked to four different business owners about how they manage projects in their business, what tools they use, what their standard operating procedures look like. And you could see over the course of that month, there really are at least four different ways to do this. And if there's four different ways to do it, there's probably eight or 16 or 32, right? So that's that's sort of in a nutshell been the content evolution that we've had. Like I, like I said, I see it as a complete through line, just a, a little bit by little bit by little bit getting clearer and clearer on what makes our show different, why our listeners listen, what I think our listeners need to hear and how we can represent that in the best way possible. But I think from the outside, you, it looks like, oh, you know, we've we've changed a lot over the years. But yeah, from the inside, the content strategy is sort of a, a, a just a continual evolution to getting to where we want to be.
1: And I think that, like, that is how messaging and positioning does evolve, right? That, that you start out and you say like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm speaking to and what I'm doing. And of course that's going to evolve over time. I think that the key is being clear on what you're trying to do at every stage, rather just kind of <laughs> feeling out what you want to do all over the place. I mean, you can do that if that's your style and that does work for some people, but in general the positioning, you do want to think very intentionally about what am I trying to achieve here? And I think people don't think about podcasts as the same as other mediums that way, where they have a strong editorial direction and the way that you do, which is honestly why I wanted to talk to you, because I think that you do approach your podcast, your own content, the guests you bring on, the topics you do almost from a more editorial perspective of like, this is, you know, this is what our podcast is about. These are the topics, these are the kinds of guests, and you just have a very, um, I think, structured way of thinking now about how you do the podcast. And the interviews, you know, they don't feel that way, rigid, but it's clear what you're going to get when you um, listen to the show. And personally, like my favorite business podcasts are podcasts like that. So whenever people say, you know, what are your favorite business podcasts? There's always two that come to mind and you both have the same approach of like, I know exactly what my podcast is about. I keep my guests on target and I want to come back to that um, and how you do that. But it's your show, What Works, and also Claire Pelletro's show, Get Paid, because I think you both kind of have that control over the content that I just really admire.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, editorial strategy is... So key for us, and structure is so key for us. There's a book that I've been raving about now for about six months called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. And it's actually it's a book about hosting events uh, and building communities. But I think there are a lot of ties to podcasting, if you will, <laughs> if, you, if you allow. Um, and one of the things she talks about in that book is the problem with being a chill host. And the idea is that there is a type of event host, and I am totally this kind of event host, by the way, and I'm working really hard to not be it anymore, Um, but there is a kind of event host that trusts that if they bring the right people together, they serve the right food, then the rest of the event will just take care of itself, and the right people will get to meet, and the right conversations will happen. And that's sort of just always been how I thought about meetups. Um, paid events, masterminds. If I bring the right people together, I don't need to provide structure. I can trust in the power of spontaneity. Um, and what Priya Parker's argument is is that good events and strong communities rely on structure, and it is the job of the host to create and enforce that structure. And what I realized in reading that is that while I might be a chill host when it comes to events. I am not a chill host when it comes to my podcast and that my job that I take extremely seriously is providing that structure and that direction and enforcing those things when I need to. And that's one of my biggest strengths as a podcaster. And the other thing that I wanted to mention too is that you talked about podcast content uh, in terms of other media one of the things that I like to think about in terms of podcasting is that while a podcast is media and it is content, it's also a product. And it is a product in a way that a blog or definitely a social media feed is not. Because a podcast requires such an investment from your listeners, that an investment of time and energy and thought that we just, you don't need for reading someone's blog. You don't need it for seeing someone's Twitter feed. That's just stuff you can passively consume. Podcasts require someone to say, all right, I'm going to take 35 minutes out of my week and listen to Tara's show. (laughs) Like that is a big, I, I spend less time on that than products I've spent thousands of dollars on. Right. But there are podcasts that I listen to week in and week out that I invest that time in because it's really important to me. And so when it comes to positioning the podcast, I think about it in terms of positioning any other product in my business model. And I think about it in terms of positioning that product within my business model as well. And that is one of the the core ways that we arrive at our content calendar and our content strategy and structure yeah I actually think
1: because this podcast is about how podcasters develop their content, and I think we'd be really remiss not to talk a little bit about the fact that your approach to these themes, or even what you bring guests on is also a reflection of how your thought about how business owners take in information and what they where they go for resources has evolved at the same time. And so at the same time you are shifting the podcast, you were also shifting away from doing courses that were kind of teaching people how to do things to enabling them to find resources and make decisions for themselves. And that's what What Works is about, right? Where you have four people talking about project management from different perspectives. You're giving people ideas, you're talking about what works for someone and not having them give advice. And you're also modeling for the, your community the fact that there are these four different things that would work. And so it's not about what is the end all and be all and the best way to do it. It's about really figuring out what resonates with you. And I think it's just really important when you think about, when we talk about your content and how it's developed to kind of call out how those two things went hand in hand and how your podcast content developed as actually the whole way you approached your business and your community was changing
0: yeah absolutely absolutely. And past that point we've gotten to the point now where our product, which is a, a community um, called the What Works Network, and the podcast have the same editorial calendar, so every single podcast episode we produce is inspired by what we're what we want to cover in the network with our uh, the kind conver- of kinds of conversations we want to have with our members. We develop additional conversation starters, content, ideas, opportunities for contribution around those same ideas. So we're on a parallel track and really parallel is not even the right way to put it it's sort of like a two layer bridge right we're we're going well no that's not right either forget it metaphors are not my thing <laughs> um, we're <laughs> we're we're doing the same stuff and utilizing it in two different ways and it's it's just been a phenomenal way for us to run the the community but we didn't that wasn't like what we originally planned out it was something that we were like oh you know what? We're doing double the work right now that we would have to do. Maybe we should stop that. Um, So yes. But yeah, in general too, Like as our value proposition changed and as our positioning changed, it changed through our experimentation with the podcast from the point where it used to be that our value proposition was around you know, what we could teach them and how that would make their lives easier or simpler. Our value proposition today is much more about access and belonging. Um, So we want to make sure that people have access to insider information, stories, multiple points of view as easily as possible so that they can use that, like you said, to inform their own choices about what works for them. But it's also about belonging because for years and years and years, I have had so many people say, well, Tara, I know you mostly work with this kind of person and that wasn't true. Or Tara, I know you mostly work with that kind of person and that wasn't true because it was the opposite thing. And um, I could see like people felt like I don't belong here. I don't belong like I don't belong with this tactic. I don't belong in that school of thought. I don't belong in this type of business model. And we wanted to show that we're all building businesses that are unique and in their uniqueness we all have something to learn from everyone else and that my Uh, my way of building a business is not better than your way of building a business. We both, we both have things to learn from each other. And so that's what really informs both our business model and the podcast.
1: I love that you use the word point of view, because that's what I think is a a through thread between the business and the podcast is that point of point of view about like everything you just shared there. Right. (laughs) Um, and, So I've been promising all along that we're going to talk about the interview skills that you have. And I know we're coming to the end of the time you have with us today. So I want to make sure we get to that because I know that you've worked a lot on this. And so I've been dying to pick your brain about it. So when it comes to kind of controlling the interview, which maybe sounds harsh to people, but really, you know, keeping the person that you're having on, on topic and, keeping the direction of the interview within that theme, like, can you share any tips on things that you've learned that work really well for you for keeping that interview on track and getting kind of the content out of it that you need?
0: Yeah. So the first thing that I think is really, really key is setting the expectation up front. And so we set the expectation probably in four or five different ways of what we're going to be covering and how we're going to be covering it in the show before we ever start the interview itself. When I am doing outreach or when I'm asking for pitches, I'm setting an expectation. Then I'm asking people to tell me what works in your business before, like before I ever say yes to an interview, it's like, no, you got to tell me first, like what, what are we talking about in your business? So that's one level of expectation setting. The next level of expectation setting comes when we actually book the interview. I do the exact same thing. I repeat it again. I don't care. I don't care if we just talked. I repeat it again. Uh, When we confirm the interview and send out logistics, we set that expectation again. So that's coming from a different person. It's coming from my producer and saying, Tara doesn't want your advice or your expertise. We're talking about this thing in your business. And here are the questions that she's going to start with. So we do send out questions ahead of time. And it's part of our expectation setting process. Not everyone looks at them, but it's, it's another touch point in that process. And then when I'm live with a guest, before we actually start the interview itself, I have a spiel I go through with every single guest, no matter how much I know they listen to the show. I say the same thing. Hey, the way we do things at What Works is that what I'm really interested in is your story, your experience, what works in your business. And you know, it's not an advice show. I don't need your advice. I don't need your expertise. And I don't even need you to come up with any actionable takeaways for our guests or for our listeners, because I know that's something that they've been asked to do so many times, right? And so I have to constantly be reprogramming them for the 35 minutes that we're going to spend together. So I don't, I don't know how many things, I, how many touch points I just named, but that was, it was at least four or five, right? Where I'm setting the expectation, this is what we're covering. Then during the interview itself, of course, I'm asking questions in that way and I'm listening for when they're getting off track. Like I did an interview yesterday that was wonderful um, and, it, it, and it's going to be great and people are going to love it. And also I had to redirect him many times in order to get back to like, no, let's talk about this. Give me an example. How do you, how do you really do this? How does this work in your business? And so not being afraid to follow up and redirect is another really important piece of it. Um, And then just like not having the room for them to get in whatever it is that they think they want to get in. And that's just, that's part of me not being a chill host when it comes to podcasting. I think the other thing that's been really key for me, which is something that I learned uh, from Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet Media. And there's actually a great episode of the new Spotify-only show called Gimlet Academy. It's episode four um, that gets into this specifically. But he talks a lot about getting people to tell stories. It's really hard to give advice on my show when you're telling a story. You could tell a story about someone else. That's fine. Still not advice. But most of the time, they're telling, I'm get, trying to get them to tell a story about themselves or their business. And so if I ask them, hey, tell me about a time when or tell me about the day you realized there is no room for advice in the answer to that question. But even more than that, I'm going to get an engaging story. Out of it. And so, you know, whether you have an advice podcast or not, um, getting people to tell stories is a great way to get more engaging content from someone. Uh, so I lead with that particular prompt quite often to get the exact kind of answer that I'm looking for.
1: I love that. When I do interview training with clients, that is one of the exercises we do. And I try to get them. In the habit of saying, for example, after every single point they make. Mm. Or, you know, so it could just be like, you know, anything about, you know, well, when I was working on developing my interview skills, I started listening to some other podcast and I changed the way I was doing it, for example, or let me tell, or I can tell you about a time or something like that. Like I literally make them plan out and think about what story do you want to tell in that moment. And I have them put, a word for the point and then a word for the story on a post-it that they can have in front of them in an interview specifically. So they don't forget to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. I forget the stories I want to tell all the time. So I appreciate that tip. Well, I was going to say, cause it can be helpful to think them through sometimes because if you're not really practiced in giving an interview, like you can really go on a tangent. Why was I telling the story? Like you can get lost in your own storytelling. Oh, yes. At least I can. So, oh, I do all the time. I think it's important to know, like, what is the story and what the heck was I trying to convey with it just to keep you on target. But it does make for a much, much more interesting listening experience for the audience.
0: Yeah. The other prompt that I use quite often that I also got from Alex Bloomberg is tell me what was going on in your head. So, like, give voice to the story you were telling yourself, give voice to that inner monologue that was happening between your ears. And that one, especially for me, I'm super interested in how people think about their businesses and how that influences their decision-making and the action that they take. And so that one, again, gives me so much insight into that. And I think it's a really underutilized interviewing prompt. That gave me chills when you said it. (laughs) Oh, good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. And I think one of the things that I know about you and that you dropped here a little bit is that You've actively sought out, right? Like other podcasters that you admire. What are the kinds of things that they say about their interviewing? And I think that it really shows that you've worked on this as a craft and a skill, that you're not just, there's a part of it that comes through doing hundreds of episodes and being in the podcast game for so long, but also just thinking about this is a skill set that you can develop just like any other.
0: Yeah, I actively listen to a lot of different kinds of shows and I do it on purpose. And at the, starting at the end of last year, definitely this year, I am also making a concerted effort to get out of my regular shows and regularly listen to new to me shows because podcasts are such an investment of time as a you know, whether any podcaster, any podcast listener, sorry, um we get into the shows that we really like, and we barely have enough time to listen to all the episodes that we want to listen to of those shows, right? So I decided, I will make as much time available for listening to podcasts as possible, which is truly not that much time. It's my morning workout. So about 90 minutes then, and then typically another time throughout maybe three or four more times throughout the week, another 45 minutes to an hour. So it's not that much time, but it's enough time that I can get through the five or six shows that I listen to religiously as well as two new shows to me every week. And by exposing myself to as many different voices and points of view when it comes to actually producing a show as possible. I'm picking up new techniques all the time. I'm learning new ways that we could be formatting the show. And it's just kind of through osmosis. And sometimes I'm really actively listening for those things. And sometimes it'll take me a little while to realize, oh, they're doing something very cool here. (laughs) I've got to try that. But I have no... No time or energy for podcasters who tell me, oh, I have a podcast, but I don't listen to podcasts. Like, sorry, <laughs> that's now part of your job. If you want to have a good show, you need to listen to other good shows or it's just not going to happen. I
1: remember in the early days when we were both involved in blogging, you used to say that about that too. Like if you're going to be a blogger, you need to consume blogs. You can't just like, because the tone of the voice of somebody who is writing and didn't consume other content was like off, Mm -hmm. um, off somehow. Yeah. I really, I love that advice. And like, honestly, who doesn't want to listen to it? (laughs) If you
0: don't like podcasts, you probably shouldn't be. That's my thing. It's like, don't have a podcast then pick some other form of media. There are plenty. (laughs) Yeah. You could YouTube blog, whatever,
1: right. There's so many other pieces of content that you can have. I love that. I love that. And now I can think about listening to my Current favorite podcast, which is totally off-topic for what I do, as
0: being a part of workday. So, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, I it, seriously. My workday starts at about six thirty in the morning when I put my first podcast in. I might be enjoying it. That doesn't mean it's not part of work. You know, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. fine. <laughs>
1: Well, Tara, thank you so much. We covered a lot of ground today, but I really wanted to understand, you know, and help people understand the kind of evolution that your show had and, and how the content evolution changes from when you worked with creative live to when you went solo. And I just really appreciate you taking us through that entire uh, process. So anyone listening, you should definitely check out Tara's what works podcast. If you haven't yet. Um, You can find it at explorewhatworks.com as well as her community. Of course, you can subscribe to What Works wherever you listen to podcasts. And I also want to recommend to you Tara's podcast production company. We didn't really go into this too much, but um, Tara now is actually helping people produce their content, um, launch their podcasts. Like their process is just absolutely amazing. And that's Yellow House Media. And You know, you can go check that out if you want any help with your own content strategy uh, to learn from someone who's been there, done that, and get some mentorship on that. So that's at yellowhouse.media. So again, Tara, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to my interview with Tara McMullen. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. Before you go, I wanted to let you know about something very special. Tara agreed to stay on with me and record a mini-episode on how you could pitch her What Works podcast. So if you were listening to this and thinking, I would really love to be a guest on that podcast, how do I make that happen? This episode is for you. The How to Pitch What Works will drop in the feed for Podcast Ally on Thursday. So the best way to get it is to subscribe to the podcast. I do hope you will subscribe and even leave us a review because that really helps a new podcast like ours get found and get noticed and get into more earbuds. Thank you again, and I will see you next week with the next interview.